Welcome to Social Anxiety Solutions, your journey to social confidence. My name is Sebastian van der Schlier and I'm an ex-social anxiety disorder sufferer. Thanks to energy psychology and the help of some brilliant therapists, I've been able to become anxiety-free. I'm comfortable and relaxed in social situations. Now, on this show, I interview experts every week to explore different social anxiety solutions from both Western traditional psychology as well as Eastern energy psychology. So each week, we'll put new tools into your toolkit to enhance your social confidence. Today, I'm interviewing Stefan Gonick on attracting your soulmate. Here's a bit about Stefan. Stefan is an internationally recognized soulmate attraction mentor. He's an expert EFT practitioner and master trainer who has been helping individuals and couples with their deep emotional healing and relationship issues for 21 years. The three methods he most frequently uses are EFT, matrix re-imprinting, and a spiritually oriented technique called ask and receive. And he's able to be especially effective with these thanks to his extensive training in gestalt therapy, relationship dynamics, and couples counseling. Thank you very much for being on the show, Stefan. Thank you very much for having me here. Um, this is uh, especially a topic that is interesting for me at the, at the moment because um, I would like to be in a relationship with my soulmate. Um, so, yeah. looking forward to this interview. So, to kick it off, um, you know, it, my idea of a soulmate would be my ideal woman. And I'm curious what your definition is of a, a soulmate. Okay, well, there are actually a lot of different definitions for soulmates. Uh, the one that you said is that my soulmate is my ideal partner, whether it's a woman or a man, or, uh, is a common one. And there's this sense when we say ideal partner that we're sort of perfectly matched, right? So uh, we, you know, all of our values match, all of our interests match, uh, our humor matches, everything matches, and there's this sense of, of great ease being together. Everything just flows smoothly. There's no friction. You love the same things. You love doing things together. It's all sort of blissfully wonderful. And uh, that's a great definition. I got no problems with that one. Uh, but there are other definitions. You know, some people have a definition of soulmate as someone who is going to really help stimulate your growth in this world. So, I mean, it's going to have a lot of good stuff. You know, there's going to be this reason why you've come together that is certainly includes pleasure, but it's not just pleasure. It could also be, you know, I'm kind of here or we're here for each other to, to stimulate each other's growth. And in that case, things won't always be smooth and, and you know, just <laughs> floating, floating along uh, with, you know, nothing coming up. Almost the contrary, you might have quite a, uh, you know, I'm not going to say problematic per se, but you might have a kind of a dramatic relationship in that a lot of things come up, but you're, you're here to help each other grow and it's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if that's your orientation, if you have a growth orientation, you will tend to have a lot of growth experiences with each other, shall we say. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. So, but in, in reality, you know, I use the word soulmate just because it, it's an appealing way of referring to our life partner. 
and I'm not actually worried about which definition people use. And in, in some ways, we can just kind of get rid of that word altogether, or that phrase, and, and really what I'm all about is helping people find uh, an amazing partner, a wonderful partner, and have a, you know, a healthy relationship rather than, unfortunately, the you know, typically unhealthy relationships we usually have. So it's about how do I find a great partner for me in a, that's healthy and feels good and you know, I can feel really happy and great about this relationship. Mm. Um, <clears throat> many people are like, yeah, well, that hardly exists, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you, you just find someone that's kind of okay and, you know, that you find someone that loves you and that, and, and that, that should be it. Right? Um, uh-huh. is, is, is it not a fairy tale to really find your dream partner and live happily ever after? That's kind of what I run into quite a bit. Uh, sure. I do too. So <clears throat> it is not a fairy tale because usually we know somebody who's done it. You know, some, some people don't know examples, but lots of times when I ask people, they, you know, I say, well, do you know any couples like that? Are there any couples that you know where you kind of envy their relationship? You see them together and you see that there's a lot of love, a lot of you know, mutual joy, and they obviously love being together and they have a good relationship. doesn't mean they never have any problems or issues, but overall, it's a really good relationship that we can kind of hold out as a model of what's possible. And most people know at least one of those. Yeah, I know two. And it, what? I know two. You know two? Yeah. Two, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a few myself. Hmm. I would like to think I am one of them also with my wife. Hmm. But, you know, the fact that if we know even just one, then we know it's possible. It's not common, right? We don't know a lot of them. And there's reasons why it's not common. And, you know, the statistics are not in our favor, for sure. Uh, I don't know what the statistics are around the world, but in the United States... You know, half of all marriages end in divorce, and then of the other half that stay together, half of them of them are unhappy. Mm-hmm. So, what we have is twenty five percent of people who get married or actually have happy marriages. But on the on the other hand, twenty five percent is not a tiny fraction. It's not that's pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, why are these twenty five percent happy, and why are the seventy five percent not happy? And how do we get out of that seventy five percent group and get into the twenty five percent group? 25% is not impossible to attain, mm. but, it's, but it's obviously not the norm. So how do we get into that special group? Yeah, I like what I'm hearing. Um, how, how would you kind of define what your personal soulmate is, right? Like I, I, uh, I've done quite a bit of work around this, but uh, you know, for the people listening to this, for myself as well, um, mm-hmm. how, how do you get clear on it? Like, you know, uh, and how specific do you get? All right. So there's a, a superficial answer to this question. Or not superficial. There's a, a practical answer to this question. So like a surface level answer, I guess what I meant, not hmm. superficial. And then there's a deeper answer that's going to get into what's blocking us from finding this person. So in a way, we're jumping ahead a little bit just trying to answer this question. Sure. But basically, what I encourage... Uh, everybody to do who's looking for a soulmate or just a great partner is to create what I call a partner vision. And that can be as simple as just, you know, in your journal, writing down all the things you're looking for in a partner. And be as specific as possible and have as many things as you want on that list. 
you know, there's some people advise you to say, well, just pick five things, you know, your five got to haves and put that there and leave it at that. My list had 35 things on it. My wife to be, before we met, had 32 uh, things on her partner vision list. So you're writing down the things that you're looking for in a partner and you want it to be things about who they are and what it's like being with them more than, uh, you know, physical criteria. Like, you know, sometimes people say, well, I want somebody who's at least, you know, like I, 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 women sometimes do things like, well, I want my ideal man is five foot ten or taller and he has this color hair and stuff like that. It's like physical features is not, uh, not going to be helpful because, you know, if you meet somebody who's perfect for you, it doesn't match these physical features, are you going to turn them down? So it's, it's a, it's a, that's a distraction. You certainly can say in your partner vision that I want to find the, my partner really physically attractive, but don't get don't get specific beyond that. So the partner vision should have the things that you want in a person. So it's it's things like you know if you like somebody who's intelligent, put that on there. If you like somebody who's uh, funny, put that on there. If you like somebody who's adventurous, put that on there. So it's those kinds of qualities rather than tall, short, you know, blonde, brown you know, whatever, hair. brown hair, whatever. Yeah. Also, when you think about the things, it's very important to think about the things you don't want and do not write them on your list as don't want. Write somewhere else as a don't want and then figure out what quality, the, the, what positive quality the person would have to have in order to not have the don't want. Can you give an example? Right? Yeah, like let's say, you know, I don't want to be with a smoker. So the problem with putting a don't want on your list is that our subconscious doesn't, look at the, doesn't notice the qualifiers. Okay, so it just sees smoker. It doesn't see I don't want a smoker. It just says smoker. So what we want to do is is look for a positive way of putting it. So well, somebody who is into health and taking care of their body is very unlikely to be a smoker. Good breath, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you know something like that. You know if you if there's a quality that you that you don't want to have then think of a positive quality that would mean they're not going to have that negative one. Mm. So you want to keep your, your partner vision should be all positive qualities. So this is uh, very helpful. In fact, super important, I would say, to, find, to really find what you're looking for. You need to be clear about what you're looking for. If it's hard for you to create this list, because I, sometimes I, I get people who say, I say, what are you looking for? They go, uh, you know, I've had so many painful relationships. I just want somebody who will be nice to me. And love me. And it's like, well, I would hope you want more than that. Because let's say you find somebody who's nice to you and loves you, and you know, they, they share none of your interests in common. You know, there, there's nothing else about them that you have in common other than they, they, they're a nice person and, and they could love you. So if that's, that's not going to be sufficient to find what you want. You have to have a clear direction of where you're trying to go, who you're trying to find. Um, if you're having a little bit of trouble getting clear about the specifics, you can think about uh, partners that you envy. <laughs> like lots of times, you know, you have a, you know, if you're a woman and you have a girlfriend and she has a great boyfriend, and you kind of envy that. It's like, well, what do you like about that boyfriend that you kind that you're envying? Like, wow, I wish I had a boyfriend like that. Well, what are his qualities that you're liking? Write them down. Mm. Right. You can kind of do a little, you know, a little detective work to to notice specifically what you're looking for. Um, just to tell you a little story, my wife, I told you, I had 35 items and my wife had 32. And after we met, we shared our list with each other. And it turns out 
that uh, I matched 31 and a half out of 32 <laughs> items on her list, and she matched 34 and a half out of 35 items on my list. Wow. That's how well we did. In What's the half? That is the first question everybody always asks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, for her, my wife is from Argentina uh-huh. originally. She lives in the United States. And uh, after a variety of relationships with non-Latino people, she had this feeling like she wished she would be with somebody, uh, an Argentine man. Or not, sorry, not an Argentine man, a Latin man. Or a man who is open to learning about her culture. And that's kind of the half. Mm. I'm not Latin, and I'm, I fulfill the half. I'm interested in her culture. I've been learning Spanish, visited Argentina, things like that. Cool. So that was the half. And for me, the half was, um, I was originally looking for a woman that I could have my family with. We could have at least one child together. But uh, by the time I met her, I was 54 years old, and... I was starting to weaken on the idea of having, you know, a new child, a baby at that age, right? And she had a, a, a daughter, and so I got to be a stepfather to her daughter rather than having a child on my own, mm-hmm. just sort of like, you know, half of that goal or that, that, that desire on my part. It's not quite the same as being a, a father. On the other hand, I was, you know, I was feeling a little old to have a brand new baby in my life, so... Worked you know, out. It still worked out for me nicely, yeah. And I, I love my stepdad. I think she's really wonderful. And we have a nice relationship. So it worked out well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I think that the... But, can, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but there's a deeper issue with this partner vision. And this is going to segue into what stops us from finding our soulmate, or at least a great, healthy partner. So you have this partner vision that we've just been spending a bunch of time talking about. And you write down everything you want. Well, everything you put on that partner vision are things that you consciously want. But there are powerful subconscious factors going on here that is going to mess all this up. And we have powerful, negative, unfortunately, subconscious attractions. Uh, many of your listeners may notice that they look back over all their relationships that they seem to have these repeating painful patterns with people where, you know, it starts good and it goes to this familiar painful place over and over again. And that is because we are subconsciously powerfully attracted to people with certain negative traits over and over again. And so we'll get more into this, but in a way, the partner vision that you've written down is only part of your partner vision. You also have your subconscious list of what you're looking for that is not good. <laughs> mm. And mm. that's what messes people up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, curious about that. We'll get to that. Just, just before we get there, um, you know, <clears throat> there, there's a, you know, the people that are listening to this, uh, some, of the, some of them have a bit of social anxiety. And it kind of exists on a spectrum from a little bit of social anxiety in certain situations to severe social anxiety in just about any situation. And so, you know, um, the idea of your soulmate might for some people be a a little bit of a far from my bed show, maybe. (laughs) So, yeah. I did that last thing. Maybe a what? Uh, Like a, a far from my bed show. 
I don't even know if that's a thing, but uh, maybe I just translated that from Dutch into English and made it something. But like like something that's far out of their reality that that could potentially be something for them. Like when I would think uh, when I was at my worst socially anxious, when I was dealing with the biggest problems, thinking about my ideal woman, I was like, you know, that's so far out of my league that will probably never happen for me. And even sitting down... Uh, doing a process like the one we've just discussed would be feeling like, well, I'm lying to myself or this is just too good to be true or, you know, like this is going to take ages before this could ever be a reality for me. Would you um, recommend that people like this? Let me elaborate a bit more even. Like, I was not even able to look an attractive woman in the eye. If there was an attractive woman in the room, I'd feel nervous, anxious. If I somehow, some way, slightly communicated some interest, I would blush. And, and there are many people that have these same kinds of problems. And then to, do, to be thinking about your soulmate might be, uh, I don't know, but might be a bit too far of a jump. What would you say to people like that? Do they have to go through a, a process of dealing with their social anxiety, dealing with some problems first, getting comfortable with dating? or how, What would you say to that? Well, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge, you, know, you said there's a range of social anxiety from a little bit to sort of paralyzing. And I, I just really want to acknowledge that um, I would say about 98% of the population has you know, is in that range of social anxiety you just described. Hmm. I think this is actually a very universal experience. Uh, that, like you said, it ranges from mild to intense. But I think if you think of all the people who are in that category, you're talking about 98% of the population. There's probably 2% of people who don't suffer from this, hmm. you know, not, who don't have at least a little bit. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> what you're kind of describing is getting into the kinds of things that block us. If I tell, I'll tell you a little bit about my origin story. Like, how did I get started on this whole thing? Okay. You know, that ultimately led to me being a soulmate attraction mentor. Hmm. And for me, what it was was uh, it happened. I'll, I'll never forget. It was. Just, it happened in one day. I was 28 years old, and I had just ended uh, the the worst of a series of bad, painful relationships in my 20s. You know, we had just it just ended, and I was feeling relief that it was over. Uh, and I was in my bedroom, just sitting in my bed, just thinking about what had happened and stuff. And for the first time in my life, I was thinking about her and what she was like, where I noticed that what was so painful about this relationship had been happening in every relationship in my 20s. Like, I was in this pattern throughout my 20s, but I hadn't noticed it yet. But when I was 28, sitting in my bed, in my bedroom, that day I noticed it. And it's like, oh my God. You know, well, that sucks. I'm in this repeating pattern. Where I keep, I seem to keep getting relationships with this woman that has the same negative trait as each other, mm. as this last girlfriend did. She was just the worst example of it. So it was torture. But they all had that negative trait. It's like, oh, my God. So then I sat there and I thought, well, yeah, I don't want to be with that kind of woman anymore. That's horrible. So what kind of woman do I really want to be with? And as soon as, and this is going to be relevant to your question, as soon as, I was trying to imagine my ideal kind of partner. I felt this huge wave of fear go through me. And so I couldn't even go there, like you said. I just couldn't even go there. I started thinking about my partner vision of sense. Just a few, just started thinking just like two or three things. 
And I just all of a sudden felt terrified. And, uh, and that's when it hit me. It's like, oh my God, my, if I am fatally attracted <laughs> to these, to women with this one really painful negative trait, and I'm terrified of being with my ideal kind of woman, then my love life is absolutely doomed. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, I am screwed basically. You know, there's nowhere to go from here. That's good. And so I just went, I just sort of plunged into despair that day. And then I woke up the next day going, no, you know, that, that is not acceptable. <laughs> that cannot be the end of my story, you know? And so that's when I decided to see a therapist and, you know, I found somebody good and, and he helped me understand my negative pattern and he helped me understand where it came from. And, and then I started working, I started working on this for years, you know, using traditional therapy. And so it took many years and I worked, you know, year after year after year. I worked with that guy for 14 years and I still wasn't done. Wow. Yeah. And I'd made huge progress. Uh, I broke out of the negative attraction pattern with him in, in three years, which was a huge relief, though three years is a long time. And then I was working on the rest of it, which I'll get to in a minute, for many years. And I was making progress, but I still wasn't getting there. And it wasn't until, you know, I learned EFT. Now, along the way, during all these years of personal healing and stuff, uh, I got inspired to work with other people. You know, my own growth path got me inspired. So that's what led me to get my own training and start helping people and things like that. Uh, and then I originally used Gestalt therapy, as you mentioned, but which is better than talk therapy, but it was still relatively slow. And then, and I was, which is frustrating. And then I learned EFT and all of a sudden everything, you know, sped up dramatically for my clients. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. So I started using it with myself, with the EFT practitioners to help me. And that's when I was finally able to clear the rest of the stuff out so I could you know, finally meet the love of my life. So, uh, yes, the thing is, when we have social anxiety, uh, well, so let me see just one last thing about myself. After I, got, I had this huge wave of fear, the next thing that came to me right after that was this ironclad belief that a woman who had everything I was looking for that I would be really interested in just could not possibly be interested in me. And I, that was not even an emotional belief. It was just like, it just felt totally true. Mm. And because of that, you know, for years, uh, I couldn't get within 20 feet of a woman who seemed really fascinating. It's like, what was the point? You know, if she's really fascinating, then, well, of course she's not going to be interested in me. So I just stayed away. Mm. Like I'd be at a big, you know, at a party with a whole bunch of people and I'd scan the room and, and usually in that, in a, you know, a group of people like that, one woman just like really stand out like a beacon. Like, wow, she's, she seems amazing. Like looking at how she's in, not just good looking, but how she's interacting with people and, and something about her energy and all this stuff is like, wow, she's just incredibly appealing. And I look, and then I continue looking and I see this other woman. It's like, huh, no, she seems kind of nice, you know, n- nothing as nowhere near as exciting and interesting. <laughs> so who would I talk to? The safer bet. <laughs> the safe one, right? And with her, you know, I wasn't that excited about her. She seemed nice, seemed interesting, mildly. So, of course, I was not in that setting feeling this intense anxiety. So I was able to be more relaxed with her and be more confident. And then lots of times that woman then get interested in me. And then I would just go with it because it felt good to have a woman interested in me. And then, but I wasn't happy. You know, I was, it was dissatisfying because really the woman I was interested in was this other woman, but I was too afraid to even get near her. Mm. 
So there was stuff I had to work out. <laughs> so with social anxiety, one of the big things for people, a common thread that was true for me that also is true for people who struggle with social anxiety is a feeling of not being worthy or good enough or deserving of the partner we want. That was My belief was a way of saying that. A woman I was, that I would find fascinating couldn't possibly be interested in me because I'm not worthy of that. You know? I'm not good enough for that. And so lots of times, you know, when we have social anxiety, that's kind of at the root of it. So I needed to address that. We don't necessarily think of it in those terms, but that's what's going on underneath. Like lots of times we think of it as, you know, I'm afraid to really, you know, be out there with myself because what if people judge me? What if people don't like what I'm doing? What if people then won't like me? Mm. It's like, okay, that's, that's all true. I mean, that, that fear makes sense, but what's, what's underneath that? What is making us have this fear of being judged and not liked, right? Mm. So that's typically at the root of it. I'm 100% with you, yeah. That's, that's the yeah. core of it. And then, you know, when you don't feel worthy, you know, what are you bringing to the table? Something that's, you know, someone that's unworthy. So when you feel that okay. way, it's not safe to, you know, uh, be that way, uh, be yourself with that woman that you do find uh, very, very attractive. Yeah. And uh, also, or with the man you feel very right, 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 right. Well, two guys. We're two guys. Conversation. A lot of the yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing for uh, yeah. Um, and I recognize a lot uh, I, in in what you're sharing. I recognize the same thing in my own life with uh, my first two girlfriends. That was also. Um, yeah, I was attracted to them, but it wasn't like, uh, wow, this is someone who I want to spend the rest of my life with. But I'm comfortable with you, and you're attracted to me, and it's kind of safe enough, and you know, right. it's great to you know have fun together, shall we say? Right. And it, it, but it, you know, it, it's not right. Really... Satisfies some romantic relationship needs, right. but it's not what we're ultimately looking for, right? Which is too threatening and scary at this point kind of thing. Mm. Exactly. I think this might be a good time to talk about what, what's blocking us because we're kind of circling around the blocks in this whole discussion. Great. So, so the question is, yeah, what, what is keeping us from, our, from meeting our soulmate, the love of our life, whatever f- term you want to use? What's, what's blocking us, right? So I've, I've, over many years, I've distilled this down to three kinds of blocks, which makes this a lot easier to understand. And so I'm just going to describe them right here. I'll, I'll name them and then I'll get into it, each one. First block, which I've kind of already mentioned, is being powerfully, subconsciously attracted to the wrong people. People with certain negative traits. So that's the first block. That's a killer because as long as that block is present, there's, there's no way to be happy in a relationship because that you're going to be, you're powerfully attracted to this some one or two or maybe three negative traits that are going to be repeating the same pain over and over again. So that's the first block. We have to address that first before we can do anything else. Let's assume we've successfully addressed that one. Then we run into the second block. The second block is having fears and limiting beliefs that interfere with, even to the point of prevent us, from being with our ideal kind of partner, which is kind of what we were starting to already talk about that a bit. So that's the second category of block is having fears and limiting beliefs that interfere with being with our partner. 
And then the third one is, is, I call it a blog, but it's not really a blog per se. It's, it's learning how to use something called the law of attraction uh, in our favor instead of against us. And so I'm going to, we can come back and discuss each of these three. So going to the first one, back to sub- powerfully subconsciously attracted to the wrong people. When we are children growing up in our family, uh, our parents are going to be, have a mixture of positive and negative traits because none of them are Buddha, right? None of them are <laughs> enlightened and, you know. So there's going to be some mixture. And as a child, we form an image of our future adult romantic partner subconsciously that is a mixture of the strongest traits of our parents, both parents. It's not a cross-gender thing. It's not like a girl is kind of doing it based on just on her dad. It's the strongest traits for parents, both positive and negative traits. And that's the key. So those combination of traits feels like home to you because that's what you grew up with. Mm. So let's say as an example, you know, you have a father who is smart, funny, strong, confident. Those are positive traits. And he's super critical and puts you down all the time. That's the negative trait. Uh, you're going to be attracted to somebody who's strong, intelligent, funny, confident, and very critical who puts you down all the time. Mm. So whatever negative trait in either parent caused you the most pain growing up, whatever negative trait by either parent that caused you the most pain growing up unfortunately, is the one you're going to be most powerfully attracted to. So what I usually do with people, if I'm kind of trying to present this in a a different context, is I'll usually start the other way around. I'll say, think about your parents growing up. What was the most painful aspect of of growing up with your parents? You know, what was the most painful thing you you, you experienced over and over again with with one or the other parents? And, you know, it might be that they had this rageful parent who's got angry often and would yell and scream and stuff like that. Or it might be that they had, uh, their parent was emotionally unavailable and distant. Or it might be that <clears throat> their parent was really needy and <clears throat> you had to take it, you know, you had to take care of the parent. So your own, there was no place for your needs in the, in the relationship with your parent or, you know, things like that. And then once they get in touch with what their the most painful trait of, of either their parents was, I'll then say, now think about your last three significant relationships. Did any of them have that negative trait? And most people would go, oh my God, all three of them had that same hmm. negative trait. Hmm. So I'll make the point the other way around usually because it's very impactful. Hmm. So I invite everybody to do that for themselves or listen to this podcast is think about the worst traits of your parents and then think about your relationships and notice do any of your past partners have that trait? And typically the answer will be yes. Very interesting. You know, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Which sucks, right? It's, that's a very frustrating, painful thing. It's like, oh my God, so I have to relive that over and over again? Yeah. Um, and a question about that. So um, you say from either parent. So um, what if you know my mom had certain... Um, very negative traits and your dad also has certain very negative traits because I'm a guy I'm just checking for my mom or am I also no. checking for my dad 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it can be either gender. And this also applies to somebody as gay, right? It's, it's not a heterosexual thing. It's whichever parent... So it doesn't matter which gender the parent is, and it doesn't ma- matter your sexual orientation. Just what was the worst negative trait you grew up with, the most painful one? That's the one you're most likely to be attracted to from either gender. Hmm. Okay. It doesn't matter which parent had it. And it's one trait? Well, typically there's, there's the worst one, hmm. right? And so I'll actually tell people, think of the top three. Hmm. And usually whichever one's worst is definitely there. But the second and or third may be present too. But the second or third may not be in every relationship where the worst one will tend to be in every relationship. Mm. Now, the one exception to this is that sometimes people in a reactive way will hate that trait so much they will vow to you know, never be with somebody with that trait. And then they'll go to the extreme opposite, which is also not good, actually. Mm. <laughs> it's a reaction. It's a reactive position that's equally unhealthy. Right? We don't want to, to find a partner who either has the same negative trait or the extreme opposite, right? We want to f- be with a partner that feels good. And the extreme opposite actually doesn't necessarily good. So it's a reactive stance. And we, we don't want to be reactive. We want to be open-hearted and clear about what's going moving towards what feels good, mm-hmm. not w- moving away from something that feels bad. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's the most common block that derails people right off the bat. I mean, how can you be with your soulmate if you're attracted to somebody who's going to put you down all the time? Right, as an example, or attracted to somebody's emotionally unavailable, which is a common one, particularly for women, or attracted to somebody who's super needy, or attracted to somebody who uh, you know gets angry all the time, or whatever. You know, there's there's a lot of these, and it just keeps repeating the childhood pain over and over again. And I think as people think about this, they'll start realizing that oh my god, yes, that's what's happening. You know, so. The first step is to, is to heal that wound. There's a, the wound of, of the negative trait. Uh, if, if you heal this in a, in, a, in a special relational way, so I mean, one question is, okay, how do we break free? I guess I'm answering that question now. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, can we have this powerful negative attraction? We want, to, we want to address that. We don't want to be attracted to those women anymore. For me, it was, I was attracted to women with a victim mentality who blamed me for everything all the time. That was very painful. No fun. Yeah. <laughs> no fun. And needy. So they were needy victim mentality women. Mm. Uh, so that was very, for me, that was very painful. So how do you break out of these attraction patterns? Well, you need to address the, the wound of those painful experiences. So let's say you had a parent who, you know, put you down all the time, super critical, judgmental, put you down all the time. You need to address the pain of that wound, but not simply in the traditional EFT way where you just think of an example memory and you tap on it until there's no pain anymore. Um, It has to be done in a relational way that breaks you out of this dynamic. Because what happens is when when a parent has this negative trait, there's the pain of what did happen, and there's also the love that was missing in that experience. Mm. Right? And what, what hooks us into it is that the little kid inside of us is forever trying to get our parents' love uh, in, in that context instead of the bad thing they were doing. It's like, you know, you know, Daddy, don't do this bad thing to me. Love me instead. And they get stuck in a, in a loop where they're, where they're for, for the rest of their life seeking that resolution. Mm-hmm. So they get attracted to people with the same negative trait who puts them down where they again try and get that person's love instead of the 
the judgment and criticism. Mm. So that's what hooks them in. So you need to heal it in this relational way. And then that breaks the person free. And then they stop being attracted to those kind of people at all. In fact, people like that now, it's kind of yucky. Like, ugh, I don't, you know, it's like this aversion, aversion reaction. Like, ugh. Mm. Now, the cool thing is, is if you know how to do this, use EFT in this particular relational way. So I, I like to call that like relational EFT. It, in a textbook perfect case, it only takes about three sessions to do that per negative trait. Mm. So if you notice that you're attracted to two negative traits of your parents, in a textbook perfect case, that would take a, a total of six sessions mm. and you'd be done with it. You would, not be, you would not be attracted to those to people with those two negative traits for the rest of your life. So, which is huge. Sometimes it takes a little longer than that. It depends if there's complications, but it can be as quick as, as, he, as healing three representative memories in this relational way of those two negative traits each. Great. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. In my experience, uh, I see what you uh, were just referring to because I remember uh, the three girlfriends that I had, while they all had... Uh, kind of the similar positive traits that I was attracted to, good sense of humor, intelligent, very sweet, uh, caring. Um, they all, you know, the first one had different negative qualities than the second one because I had already been doing some work on myself. And the, the third one, while there were also things not going great, which is why it ended, um, she, was, she had different negative qualities than the second one. So I can see how the, the inner work does start to change uh, that. So, yeah. Yeah, so what may have been happening for you, um, we had talked earlier, you actually mentioned to me that your first girlfriend uh, was very needy, which was like your mother who was also very needy. Hmm. And uh, as we grow, uh, you're right, but you, you know, these things can change. But one of the things that can also happen, and it'd be interesting if you look at all three relationships at the negative part, is remember I said there could be multiple negative traits. And, you know, as you kind of try and focus, okay, I don't want that negative trait, we can sometimes avoid that one as we're consciously trying to avoid it. But then we will succumb to one of the other ones. So if you look at these three girlfriends and what was specifically painful within each of those three relationships, you may be able to relate that specific kind of pain back to your parents again. Mm. Right? So you may have been attracted to three different negative traits, as you kept trying to consciously avoid one, you had moved to you found one. somebody who had one of those. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's hard to to miss this stuff, you know, to avoid it because it's such a powerful subconscious process. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so that's why I usually tell people, you know, think of the three worst traits of either parents, the ones they suffered from the most growing up, and start looking at their relationships, and usually they'll see that. Each relationship had at least one of those three traits. And I'm guessing your three is kind of like that. that mm. Maybe each girlfriend embodied one of the three traits that, from your parents. Right. Okay. And so say people uh, figure out what those three are. They uh, you know, use EFT in a relational way. They might find a therapist to help them do that. What is then the second step? All right. I hope you enjoyed the first part of this interview because this interview actually went quite long so I've decided to split it into two so on uh, you know at this nice little cliffhanger that would be the end of this week and next week we'll get into the other steps now 
to help you overcome your social anxiety and get you started on your journey to social confidence, I would like to give away to you my social confidence starter kit. And that consists of my 28-page ebook, How to Overcome Social Anxiety, my 11-part video course, Social Confidence Now, as well as my story, How I Overcame My Social Anxiety Completely. To get that, you can go to socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash bonus. When you check that out, you can immediately start to release some of your social anxiety, gain some emotional control, and start feeling more confident. All right, again, you can check that out at socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash bonus. Looking forward to connecting with you next week again. Bye for now. (laughs) 